The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Would you join me in prayer, please? Uh, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-14, through 14, which I think is a very, very appropriate text for us to be looking at in light of what we are going through right now in our country and in the world. Um, and so what the title of the sermon is Clothe Yourselves with Humility. And uh, let me pray that God would help us to do that very thing. Our Father, we thank you for the fact that you have spoken so clearly to us in this passage, and we pray that we would take it seriously and we could see how it, uh, how it is so important for us, Lord, that we put on humility as, the, as an apron of a slave. We have, are here to serve you, and we want to do that, Father. So we pray that you would speak to our hearts and in, enlarge our understanding, Father, that we might serve you in a way that, that pleases you and glorifies you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Clothe yourself with humility. Uh, this is. Let me read the text first. This is this is Second uh, Peter chapter five verses five through thirteen or through fourteen. I mean, uh, he says, "You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Now that's a principle that he gives. It's always true. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This word, mighty hand of God, is a a phrase that's used only a few times in the Old Testament, but very significant because it has to do with God bringing his children out of Egyptian bondage. And he calls it the mighty hand of God. It's uh, It's also expressed this way as the outstretched arm of God. God's outstretched arm. We're told in in uh, Isaiah chapter fifty three, the the chapter begins this way: Who has who has uh, believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What he means by that? How many of you have heard the message that, in essence, is the gospel, the good news that we have come to believe, and and who has experienced? the effect of it, of believing it, that his God's mighty arm is outstretched and he delivers us. So this is talking about God's activity in the midst of very difficult times because God is sovereign and he's telling us what we ought to do when we're going through difficult times. He goes on, he, verse 7, he says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That, that expression, he cares for you, uh, is can be translated, it matters to him about you. The word care... Uh, is is a word that has to do with uh, uh, being having anxiety. Uh, it, it's it's the word for anxiety actually. But it, it mean, when it says because he cares for you, it means that it's a matter. It matters to him about you. He really cares. He he wants to bless you. He wants he wants the gospel to penetrate your heart to the very depths. He goes on. He says, "Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert." Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, the, the God, he is called a roaring lion. He's also called a serpent for two different reasons. He's a roaring lion because he's a destroyer. And he's a, he's a serpent because he's very sneaky. And so uh, Peter says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, 
confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In other words, God is going to use the things that we face for our good. That's what he's promising. And he tells us that in order to fit into this program, we need to put on humility rather than pride. He goes on, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly. He's talking about this second, this uh, first Peter, the book, first Peter. He says, I have written you to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. That is, is like an expression that is telling you the theme of the book. It is the true grace of God. And what we ought to do is we ought to stand firm in it. We ought to obey it. We ought to live in it. And he goes on. He says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son, Mark. Now, when if we were to read the beginning of this book, the, these believers are scattered all over because they're running from persecution. And he is he's... Peter is convinced that God is protecting them. Even though it's difficult times, he's protecting them. And he ends up in verse 14 saying, Greet one another with a a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Now, this, this expression, he says that all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's a very important principle. If you want God to promote you, and to bless you, humble yourself. If you want God to oppose you and humiliate you, exalt yourself. This is an irrevocable biblical principle. It's a principle by which God operates and is dealing with men and angels. You cannot escape it. God will not make an exception in my case or your case. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does Peter mean by this? Well, the word oppose is a very strong word. It means to rage in battle against an enemy. It's as though God is going to stand in our way. Peter is claiming that God hates pride and that he actively fights against the plans and purposes of the proud. Um, I can still remember one time Ruth Graham made a statement. She said, if God does not bring judgment on America, he will have to apologize to Saba and Gomorrah. And what she was getting at was because she was talking specifically about the abortion industry. And she was saying that if God doesn't judge America for this, then he should apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because what they did was not as bad as what is happening in this part of our nation. And so we, we are a holy priesthood. And because we're a holy priesthood, we're set apart to God, and we, are, we have been saved so that we could relate to him. We can come before him, and we can ask requests for people. We can actually pray for people who are suffering. This is our role. This is what we've been called to. And so the question we should ask ourselves, am I interceding for America? Am I asking God to use these difficult times that we're going through right now to humble America and bring spiritual renewal or just solve our problems? It's not just as uh, give us justice, but give us mercy. We need God's mercy, and we need God to use these difficult times to move people toward Christ and toward the gospel instead of away from it. Uh, but could Peter be right about this? In Proverbs uh, 6.16, it tells us the cure for the uh, proud. Uh, this is what Vance Havner, how he translates it. The cure for the proud is, is the proud look, that is, to have this arrogant kind of look about you is seasickness. <laughs> when you get dizzy and sick, it's hard to look important. Why does God hate pride and actively oppose the proud? Well, it's because pride plunged this universe into judgment. We're told this in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. 
Uh, there he's quoting Satan as saying before his fall, I will be like the Most High God. And that ended up destroying a, 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 the human race in a very real sense. It plunged us into sin. We are image bearers, and we were put on the earth to bear his image and to show what he's really like. But we can only fulfill our mission if we humble ourselves before God. You can't fulfill your mission as an image bearer unless you humble yourself before God. Pride created this chasm between God and man. For example, in Genesis 3-5, when Adam and Eve were responding to Satan's challenge of why don't they eat the tree that God said they shouldn't eat, and, he, and he, he explains, God is saying that because he doesn't want you to be like God. He doesn't want you to be as smart as he is and know what he knows. And so he convinces them that by eating, by disobeying God, they are going to know what they wouldn't know otherwise. And there's some truth to that. We, we enter into a sphere of sin where we have come to know what it's like to be fallen and to be at war with God. Satan uses pride to keep man from coming to the God who created them and loves them and can give them a genuine meaning and purpose in life. And we, God created us in such a way that we need those things. We need to know that we have genuine meaning and purpose in life. And this is exactly what the New Testament and the Old Testament as well tells us because of our relationship with God, that our life has significance. We were created in the image of God and after his likeness so that we could be his representatives in this world. Pride will keep you from experiencing the grace of God in your life. God wants to pour out his grace on you, but all too often it's pride that keeps you from receiving what he is more than willing to give. In other words, we, we refuse to humble ourselves to receive from God what we desperately need. So what's God doing, going to do about the pride of man? Well, we're told in Isaiah 2 and in Hebrews 6 that he is going to do what is necessary in order to solve this problem of man being in his arrogance. God sets himself against those who are proud and arrogant. They become his enemies. While the humble receive his blessing and favor freely and abundantly, the humble will have enemies, Satan and the world. But the arrogant have God as their enemy, so we have to choose our enemies. In practical terms, how can we as a church live humbly before God? Well, in this passage, what he's going to tell us, we have to do three things. First, we have to see ourselves as servants. This is a tough one for a lot of people. We are servants of God and servants of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is why we've been put here. Second, we have to accept God's agenda for our lives. He calls us to serve in ways that sometimes we don't think have, we don't think we should be doing such a thing. For example, when Jesus washed this, the feet of the apostles, Peter himself said, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm not going to let you act like this because you're above this. You're too important for this. And then third, we, we should not let Satan turn us into cowards because this is what keeps people from having an attitude of being a humble servant of God is that they come to be cowards because of Satan's attack on them. If you want to live humbly before God and let him exalt you, you have to see yourselves as servants. Literally, you have to put on the apron of a slave. That's what he says here. Put on the apron of a slave. A slave's apron was worn by house servants, and they put them on in order to do two things. One, to identify themselves as servants in the household. And then secondly, to prepare them to serve. If you remember in John 13, verse 4, it says that Jesus at the Last Supper stood up, stripped down, and put a towel on, which identified him as a servant, the lowliest servant among them. 
Now, they were always arguing about who was the greatest among them, but Jesus was trying to teach them that the most important thing is who is the most humble? Who is it that's the servant of all? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, the song says, you have to learn to be servant of all. And that's, that was from the words of Jesus. So what is an apron that you and I are to put on? Well, the apron, we're told, is an attitude. It's a mindset. It's literally lowliness of mind, embracing the truth that God is God and we are his servants. We are not God. We have a proper, if we have a proper perception of ourselves and others in the light of who God is, we will be servants, not only of God, but of his people. Now, an illustration of humility is found in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, where it looks at the opposites of selfishness and uh, empty conceit. Uh, a, a hired laborer who's working because he wants to make money is expressing his selfishness. And a person who is a celebrity and wants people to seem as very, very capable is simply working out of this empty conceit. He wants to be known Whereas what we are told to do is to be servants because we have the privilege of serving others. Having this attitude uh, is determining to do two things. View your brother as someone you should serve. I don't have one brother in Christ who isn't someone that I should serve. I should serve them because they are, they are in the body of Christ and they represent God and I am here to serve them. Be just as interested in their welfare as you are in your own. Now, Jesus gives us this example in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I have a friend, a Ramesh Richard, who is a, a servant of Christ, and he is, lives in Dallas, Texas. He's from India. And he always signs his letters this way. A servant, with a small s, a servant to the servants, with a small s, of the servant, with a capital S. In other words, the servant is Jesus Christ, and those are who his, who are, those who are his servants are the ones that we serve. We serve all those who are servants of Christ. We are here to help them. We're here to make sure that we can do whatever God wants us to do in order to, to help them to accomplish the, their purpose for God. So what can we conclude from this? You don't have to wear a tie to, to serve God, but you, you have to be clothed in humility. It's a characteristic attitude of, for all believers, from the leadership to the youngest believer, from little children to grown people, older people. Humility is like precious oil that creates a supernatural harmony in the body of Christ. And this is what David says in Psalm 133. He says, having humility is like having this sweet oil run down your face and spill over onto others. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And we are to manifest this harmony by being humble. This is how, this is how uh, harmony is manifested in the body of Christ. Because we all have the same attitude. We want to serve one another. And this is why, what we're told throughout the scriptures. And then we also have to accept God's agenda for our lives. That's the second thing that we have to do. In verses 6 and 7, it talks about the mighty hand of God. It's only used here in the New Testament, but it's a common phrase in the Old Testament. It's talking about God sovereignly working in situations where it looks like it's, it's a very bad situation for us, and yet God is using it for our good. He takes us back to the imagery of, of the Exodus. Israel was forced to live under persecution. But God delivered them with a mighty hand. That is, he manifested his sovereign power and an outstretched arm. Just exactly as 
Isaiah 53 begins, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That is, who has believed the gospel and who has experienced the delivering power of the gospel? And as they endured the plagues that fell upon Egypt, the eye of faith understood that these plagues were not judgment on Israel, but indeed they were actual salvation of Israel. It's what brought about their exodus and them going out in freedom. So they had to live under Pharaoh's hard heart and remain in Egypt during the ten plagues. What they learned is that God in his sovereignty uses the suffering of this present age to give birth to his new kingdom. The brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, James, he wrote in his little book, he begins the book by saying, Count it nothing but joy whenever you fall into diverse trials, because we know that trials uh, give us, produce in us the ability to continue and to be consistent under hard times. But he says, but you have to let it have its perfect work and results. So we, instead of complaining about the hardship that we're in, we should see it as a manifestation of the hand of God and the arm of God, his outstretched arm for us. He will exalt you at the proper time, just as God exalted his servant Israel after the plagues from Egypt on Egypt, and just as he exalted his servant Jesus after his crucifixion, so indeed, because you are in Christ, he will exalt you. We are going through a time right now in the world that's unprecedented for us, this pandemic. And yet, it isn't to destroy us. In fact, it is to work in our lives in such a way that we can become more effective as servants of Christ. So we submit to his provision. That's why he says, casting all your anxiety on him. Uh, I learned this lesson this last year in a very real way because I was so filled with anxiety over some things and I realized that what I was doing was I was failing to do the very thing God told me to do. I'm supposed to cast all my anxiety upon him. Now this is, by the way, in this context, it's telling us this is how we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, by casting all our anxiety upon him. And then we're, so we submit to his provision, but then we also submit to his love because he cares for you. This is why we should do it, because it matters to him about us. He actually loves us, and this is why he wants us to learn from our trials. And then the third thing we're supposed to do is we can't let Satan turn us into cowards. Satan wants to deceive us. He's called a lion because of his viciousness, but he's called a servant because he's so sneaky. And he wants to trick us. Satan's attack on, against a believer is primarily pride. We're told this in 1 Timothy 3.6, that we shouldn't put a new convert into a place of leadership lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil, that is, Satan himself. And this idea of being conceited is a word that means smoke rising higher and higher in its own estimation of himself. So in trials, Satan approaches, says, you don't deserve this. There's a commercial on TV that I get a kick out of. It's Joe Namath, and he's telling us that we should get what we deserve from the Social Security. And I thought, when I heard that the first time, I thought, where would you get such an idea that I need to get what I deserve? This, that is certainly outside the realm of Christian doctrine. We are to get what the Father wants to give us because he wants to use us for his glory. Now, Satan's goal is to destroy your faith. We're told that in 1 Thessalonians 2.17. He wants to swallow us, to devour us. To, to, it's, it actually speaks of drinking the blood of a victim. How is he going to do this? Well, he's going to undermine your faith. He destroys our testimony and effectiveness. He turns us into proud people rather than humble people. And one of the most horrible things to see is a man who is in ministry and who is full of pride. 
I remember one time my son told me about going to a camp, and the, the man who was there, he was a pastor of a church, and he made his wife call him pastor. He demanded that she call him pastor. If he would call her, if she called him anything else, he wouldn't answer her. And he wanted to know if that was, if that was what he should be doing. And I said, absolutely not. When you stop trusting Christ, Satan has won his victory. And this is exactly what can happen to us when we are in the midst of being a servant of Christ and seeking to show humility, but instead we fall into the trap of pride. And then we're to see ourselves as servants, allow God to set the agenda for our lives. In other words, he brings people into our lives that we need to serve, and we may not want to serve them. I remember talking to a man who got, who got involved in, our, in a, a thing that we're involved in in our church, a a food pantry to give away food to people who are hungry. And uh, he's, he went out the first day and he came back and he said, I don't think I can do this. These people don't deserve what they're getting. And I said, well, what did you deserve when God first met you? And he says, that's exactly what I've thought about. Of course they don't deserve it because I didn't deserve what he gave me either. And, and so this is a, this is a common a pitfall to fall into, thinking that we only serve people who, who deserve it. We serve people who are like us. They don't deserve it, but it's what they need. The word mercy means to treat people based upon their need, not what they deserve. And this is what God does toward you and I. He treats us based upon our need, not what we deserve. If he treated us based on what we deserved, we would all perish. But he treats us based upon what we need. He has mercy on us. And uh, this, is what, this is why we have faith in him. We have confidence in him. Encouragement is what is required of you is, is nothing more than what others are experiencing around the world. And they are not, they are being, they're not being devoured by Satan. On the contrary, they are standing in their faith and crushing Satan under their feet. Uh, we are going through some difficult times, but it's not punishment from God. It's simply God showing us that he can use us in the worst of circumstances if we will humble ourselves and allow him to use us for his glory. And this is, this is what we want to take home from this passage of Scripture. That yes, we are in difficult times, but God has brought these difficult times as the sovereign God of the universe in order to teach us what we need to know, that we need to put on humility as an apron of a slave so that we can serve others. God has called us to serve each other. And sometimes the reason we can't serve each other is we're too proud and we can't humble ourselves. But God is able to to give us the, the ability to humble ourselves and to put on the apron of a slave so that we can serve others. And Peter says, this is the grace of God. Now stand firm in it. This is what we are called to do. This is what it means to that we, we receive grace is so that we can serve others. We can pour out out of our lives into others the grace that God has poured into our lives. And so we should take this seriously. We should respond to this. We need to, we need to put on humility as an apron of a slave. In other words, to show that we are servants and that we want to serve and he is enabling us to serve. This is one of the, one of the things we don't think about much about spiritual gifts is the whole purpose of spiritual gifts is for God to give us an ability to serve others. Isn't, it is not an ability to be successful. It's not an ability to be uh, thought highly of. It's an ability, a spiritual gift is an ability to serve other people in the flock, in the, in the church of Jesus Christ. And so this is what we've been called to. And in times like this, when we're going through difficult times and everybody's trying to figure out what, is, what do they deserve? What do I need to get that I deserve? We should be asking, 
who does God want me to serve? Who is God bringing into my life that I could humble myself, put on the apron of a slave, and serve them the way Christ served us? The account of Jesus washing the, the feet of his apostles is an astounding story because his own apostles t- couldn't understand it. The apostle Peter, when he came to Peter to wash his feet, he said, do you wash my feet? I'm not going to ever let you wash my feet because that was too humble of a task. And so Jesus said, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part in me because he is a servant. He's the servant of the Lord. That is his primary title. He's the servant of the Lord. And so God wants us to also be servants of the Lord. And he is, and he says that what we need to do primarily is to put on humility so that we understand we're not too good to do this. We humble ourselves so that we are, we are prepared and ready and waiting to serve others as he has called us to do. And I pray that that would be the mark of Jesus on each of us. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray based upon this encouragement that you give us in this passage that we could be people who serve others. We pray, Father, that we could put on humility. Teach us to put on humility as to prepare us to serve. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. One time I was going on an airplane flight. This was before they were searching every person. All the security wasn't near as high as it is now. And we were walking through, and all of a sudden, this lady pulled me aside. She worked for the, she was a part of the security at the airline, and she pulled me aside, and she says, we need to, we need to search you. And so she searched me. And I said to her, why did you pull me out of all those other people? She goes, well, you fit the profile. Well, I'm thinking the profile is tall, dark, and handsome, but evidently it was something else. And she, I was suspicious looking as though perhaps I was going to cause problems. And so she had to search me and make sure I didn't have a gun or, or some kind of a weapon. And uh, what, what God wants to find in us is humility. He wants to search us and find humility, lowliness of mind, that I'm not too good to serve. I have been called to serve. And that's what God wants to do to each and every one of us through us. He wants to serve his people. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.